All right, Wrestling Mythology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton here digging deeper with you into Revelation. This week we have the sixth seal from Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17. And as we'll see next week when we get into Revelation 7, as we'll see in each of the three sets of seven visions, that there is an interlude in there. So next week we have a break between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, just as we will with the sixth and seventh trumpets and the sixth and seventh bowls later on in Revelation. And each of the interludes, as we'll see, give us a great picture of the faithful during this time. But as we get there, we have this great sixth seal. So let's look at it. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island is removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath is come, and who can stand? So far our text. Very vivid picture of the judgment that is coming. But of course, we start off with Ecumenius, who takes the exact opposite way of talking about the grace shown by Jesus. So he has, the loosing of the sixth seal affects the completion of our salvation. It dissolves death and brings back life. It dethrones humanity's conqueror and is openly triumphant in accordance with that which is written, the only begotten ascended on high and led captivity captive and received gifts among men. And what is this loosing of the sixth seal? It is the cross and death of the Lord. The resurrection and ascension follow these, and for these every spiritual and physical creature has prayed. So we have now Ecumenius saying this is the death and resurrection. Uh, this is the death of Jesus, not the resurrection yet. The resurrection follows, but we have him seeing this: the darkness being that darkness on Good Friday. He references a couple of. Passages first from Psalm 68, verse 18. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And then Ephesians 4, 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This gives ideas also to things like the Gospel of Nicodemus and others that talk about the place of Hades being divided off between the good spirits and the evil spirits until the time of the crucifixion when Jesus goes down, proclaims his victory, and then leads all the good souls out of Hades into heaven. This is what many people have talked about as being this leading a host of captives talked about in Psalm 68 as well as Ephesians 4. But those are the only places we have it. And quite honestly, we don't need to stretch it to this holding place in the inter intervening time between creation and judgment day or creation and the resurrection. We have it simply as we are all captive by our sin. We are all captives of the devil. So Jesus ascending into heaven, opening the gates of heaven to us 
is that leading the host of captivity into the pearly gates. That is how good saints of the Old Testament and the New Testament receive their salvation, enter into heaven, is through Jesus' death and resurrection. Ecumenes has a point here. But as we'll see, the sixth seal has much more to talk about than just the simple death of Jesus. All right, moving into the prophet Haggai, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. This has more bearing on what John has in verse 12 than Ecumenius' idea. That even in the prophet Haggai, after the exile, God is talking about shaking the heavens and the earth when it comes to salvation and the treasures all coming into his holy house. Again, talking about us getting into heaven through Jesus. We move on into Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now, as he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we have these, again, this idea of the shaking of heaven and earth one more time, and this being the end. We can talk about the shaking of the earth the previous times. We can look at the flood and the shaking of the earth, the opening of the deeps, the shaking of the earth and the earthquake that happened at the uh, crucifixion or at the resurrection, and then also here at the end of time. Now we turn to Dr. McGee and the ideas of the premillennial dispensationalist. When Dr. McGee talks about this on his radio program, he talked about a lot of verses to go with it. This is evidently the beginning of the last half of the Great Tribulation period. The great day of his wrath is before us. The Great Tribulation opens and closes with these upheavals in the natural universe. One, the beginning of the Tribulation, compare Joel 2, 30 and 31 with Acts 2, 20. And the end of the tribulation, see Joel 3, 9-17, Isaiah 13, Isaiah 34, and Matthew 24. Well, as Dr. McGee says, let's go look at these things. Joel 2, verses, 20, or verses 30 and 31. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Sounds very much like Revelation 6, 12. Let's keep moving on. Joel 3, beginning in verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. 
The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. So here we have this idea of bringing everybody together, which we'll see a little bit more, and the judgment happening. So Joel, uh, Dr. McGee picks this up with Joel's prophecy of the last day as this being ready, being readied by the sixth seal. Isaiah 13, beginning in verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. So we have here again the shaking of heaven and earth, making the truly faithful saints being rare as fine gold. Isaiah chapter 34. Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear, and all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations, and furious against all their host. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. All the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. Hey, we had fig tree in there, and we'll get to that in just a second, because that's verse 13. But we have here again Isaiah talking about the last day and the wrath of God shaking all of creation. And let's go to Jesus, Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Okay, we have this great prophecy by Jesus himself during Holy Week about what is going to happen on the last day, the descending of him in the clouds. Sending out the angels, very similar to what we have in 1 Thessalonians 4. But mankind, those outside the church, will tremble. Everyone will be afraid because they will now see that the one that they have forsaken, the one that they have rejected, is the one who has come to judge them. And so they will shake like the leaves off of a tree. And there we have in verse 13 of Revelation 6, the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. We move from Matthew chapter 24 to Jesus's same words in Mark 13, beginning in verse 24. 
But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the end of the earth to the ends of the heaven. So far, just exactly what he says in Matthew. But he goes on from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So we have this great promise from Jesus himself. Using the fig tree that he had just cursed earlier in the chapter to prove his point. That you know these things from, you know, summer is coming because the fig tree is shaken off its winter fruit. But when these things happen, when you see the sun darkened and the moon not giving its light and the stars falling from heaven, you know that Jesus is coming soon. We go back to the Old Testament and look at Nahum chapter 1 verse 5. Again, this idea of God's very presence shaking all of creation. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Again, we have this great vision of God coming and everything moving away from his path. And so when Jesus gives this vision in the sixth seal, when he opens it, in verse 14, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island removed from its place. So we have Peter talking in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Isaiah talks about this new heaven and this new earth in chapter 65 and 66 of his prophecy, going into great detail with them. But we have this promise from even the very beginning. We go back to probably one of the first books of the Bible written, the book of Job, probably also written by Moses, according to a lot of scholars. Satan is allowed into and out of heaven right now. Why? Because this is the old heaven. We are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. That is what we get to be in. That is what we get to inherit when we die. But we are waiting for all these things. So also we seek God to hasten the day when it comes. Not looking forward to it in dread and fear, but looking forward in anticipation and hope. Because that is the life of the Christian. A life of anticipation and hope. Which goes to how the rest of the world reacts when all of this happens. Verse 15, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, and the generals and the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the, him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? It's here. We know it's judgment day, and therefore... Those who are not in Christ, those who know that they have rejected Jesus, have seen him come down with the clouds. Now we have the issue. Now we have the fear. 
And this is exactly what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the lower Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols shall utterly pass away. And people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord, and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. When he rises to terrify the earth, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? When the terror of the Lord comes, the only thing we can do is hide. And we see this from Genesis chapter 3. Even the sound of God walking in the garden that had been a pleasant sound, that had been a welcome sound in previous days, terrified. Adam and Eve that day, and they hid themselves among the trees. Now we look to it, we try to hide in the cliffs and the caves to see all the bombardment that is going on from the stars falling onto the earth. Maybe we can be saved if we're underground. And then we have Hosea chapter 10, verse 8. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Jesus, in his words about the last days in his Holy Week speeches in the Gospels, also refer to these things, refer to these scriptures, saying the exact same things, that people run to the mountains screaming for them to fall on us, that we might die instead of facing the Lord. But again, we still face the Lord after we die, so there's no refuge there. And thinking of Holy Week, we move to Luke chapter 23. Jesus is walking down the Via Dolorosa, and the women are weeping behind him. So starting in verse 28, But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So also here, even in the midst of him carrying his cross to Calvary, Jesus is continuing to talk about what will happen when the true wrath of God comes for humanity. It's already come once, and that is what is happening in Luke 23, and in Matthew 27, and in Mark 15, the death of Jesus the wrath of God poured out on him on the cross. That's the first time. Now, for those who reject him, it is coming again. Now, Dr. Brighton, in his commentary, has a wonderful thought on this. While mercy and forgiveness might be expected from the Lamb, 
Here, there is only wrath, anger, and judgment. The fact that God has given the execution of his judgment to Jesus Christ is usually expressed with reference to Christ as the Son of Man and not as the Lamb. However, it is because Jesus was the Lamb of God that he not only earned the right to save God's people from God's judgment against their sin, but he also earned the right to judge those who do not repent of their sin. He goes on to say, while in chapter 19 of Revelation, verses 11 to 16, the title Son of Man is not used. The rider on the white horse has eyes like a flame of fire, 1912, just as the Son of Man does in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, it is quite clear that the writer in chapter 19 verses 11 through 16 appears as the son of man and not as the lamb. There we have the traditional picture in chapter 19, but here we have it that the lamb of God is executing justice, is giving out his wrath and executing it. And what is this day of wrath? Brighton goes on to say, while this day of the Lord is dies irae, a day of wrath to the world, it is to the people of God a day of vindication and deliverance. Nonetheless, it is called a day of wrath for its purpose is the judgment of God. In 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come suddenly as a thief, and it is the day in which the present heaven and earth will be destroyed. See 1 Thessalonians 5.2. So, well, Dr. Brighton has said it. Let's go look at him. 2 Peter 2. Or 2 Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be destroyed, or will be exposed. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus gives his own parable that if the master of the house knew when the thief was going to come, he would have set a guard. But because we don't know when the thief is going to come, we must always be vigilant. So then we have Dr. Brighton saying, The opening of the sixth seal introduces to John and the reader the first view and revelation of the end of this world. And thus it concludes the first vision of, taking, of events taking place on earth. The first sevenfold vision is one of horror, tribulation, suffering, and fear from the time of the Lord's resurrection and ascension up to the end. The whole vision is nothing but woe and lament, even for God's own people. One can imagine that as John mystically experienced the horrors and sufferings depicted and saw at their conclusion only death in the grave and then finally the terrifying judgment of, the, of God, he might have been tempted to fall into a hopeless despair. O oh Lord, is this all that there is from now to the end? Even your own people will suffer this? And this is where we vastly differ from Dr. McGee and the premillennial dispensationalists, the left-behind people and all of those who believe in the rapture, is that they believe that none of these things will happen to the church, that the church will be taken away, will be spared from these things. But if these things have been happening from the beginning of time, again, I ask, and I'm sure I have asked this many, many times throughout this podcast, if the church in the end times gets to be taken away and spared all of these things, why has not any other generation been spared? Why has every other generation suffered persecution and violence from the outside world? Why is it that this group at the end of time is so special? The answer, quite simply, they're not. Because the church in the last days is going to suffer just like the church has throughout all of human history. 
There are always going to be persecutions and tribulations from outside. But in Revelation, we see that it is truly God who is in control and God making things happen so that people come to repentance. And that is exactly what we seek in this life. We seek people to come to repentance so that they can stand before God on the last day, not in terror, not in horror, not seeking the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, but singing a hallelujah chorus, a te deum, that God has come and vindicated them. Because for the church, the last day is not a day of wrath. It is that day of deliverance. It is that day where what we have taken by faith now becomes sight. And that is what strengthens us. That is what helps us to wrestle with everything that goes on around us. Because we know what comes after this. And that is why we do this podcast, to help to strengthen us. So that we can wrestle with the theologies around us. And that draws us to the end of today's episode. I thank you for being here. I am Pastor Doug Minton, being very privileged to dig deeper into Revelation with you, to help strengthen you, to battle against all the craziness that is out there in this world, knowing that in the end, Jesus is in charge as the Lamb of God. Amen.